Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning, this is Dr. Caroline O'Sullivan, and you are listening to Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. I hope everyone's doing very well this morning and ready for a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, I'd like to ask everyone who's out there to please become involved. Give us a call. Ask us a question. The number here is 347-215-6138. Once again, 347-215-6138. You might be listening in on that number already, but just hit the one and they'll tap you right through and we can take a question. You can also get involved by emailing a question to listeners at sylviaglobal.com or post your comments in the comment section of Sylvia Global Facebook page. We will be here for the next hour talking about a very, very important subject. And so get a hold of all your friends, all your fellow dog and cat and animal lovers because this is important. Um, We're going to talk about today some common pet emergencies, and we are so fortunate today to have Dr. Jesse Saul with us. Um, He is chosen to take his veterinary career and use it for emergency medicine. He is coming to us from his home, I'm guessing this early in the morning, but he's with Prescott Area Pet Emergency Hospital, which is a wonderful facility here in our area, currently does emergency medicine on our nights, our weekends, or our holidays. And we happen to be calling you from an area that did not have those services available to us a very short time ago. So Dr. Saul is providing a service that is um, uh, a blessing to our community. And it's just really going to be crucial that we all talk together about what he's got to tell us because we don't want to forget. Um, The... Prescott Area Pet Hospital, Pet Emergency Hospital, can be contacted online with www.prescottpetemergency.com. Now, when you look up their website, the first thing that Prescott Area Pet Emergency Hospital has to say is their tagline, their philosophy is compassion, care, and comfort. Now, we're going to start with that because isn't that a wonderful way to approach an emergency, approach anything with our you know, non-human loved ones? So, Dr. Saul, I want to welcome you to the program and thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking your time and all of your wonderful education and knowledge to share with us. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, now, Dr. Saul and I had talked before the show and I happened to know that he had a really long weekend doing what he does. So I double thank you, and I, <laughs> I, uh, I know your time is valuable. So um, Dr. Saul has got a bio on the Prescott Area Pet Emergency website that includes <laughs> the fact that he brings a very cool, calm, collected attitude to the emergency hospital. And what do you think about that, Dr. Saul? Is that is that true? Is that even under the, the most heated of circumstances, or you just keep your cool? Yes, yeah, I've, I've always been hard to get too riled up, so <laughs> I guess it's an advantage working in emergency medicine. You know, owners are very concerned with their pets, and you know, they, rightly so. They'll they'll come in, and sometimes you have to be able to step back from the emotion and. And you know, actually treat the pet, and have to be, you know, very calm, and be able to use your use your head to to think through the situation and make a good assessment so you can you know treat effectively. Indeed, indeed. I um, I I worked um when I was in Nevada. I did quite a bit of on call and emergency medicine, and it's quite true that when those when those calls come or when the doors open or when those clients come in, that for me, I can tell you that I slipped into a very different mode. There's a certain amount of detachment that goes along with it and a certain amount of um, um, 
focused concern on the issue in front of you and the diagnostics and every every skill that you have, every piece of education, every diagnostic tool that you have getting into play right then because we don't have time to dilly-dally to be perfectly frank. So I really exactly. admire that you've chosen <laughs> I really admire that you've chosen to spend your life doing this um, or at least this part of your life. Now, um <laughs> <laughs> right, and we don't want to pigeonhole you forever. So <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, now, your interests, as per the website, uh, emergency surgery procedures. That's awesome. Then pain management. We talked a little bit about this the other day, and I was, I was, um, I guess, just full of admiration and so happy that we are on the same page with that with regard to pain management. Now, my philosophy on pain management is that we never make our patients prove that they need it. You know, we don't yeah, have to twist that. and twerk and we don't they don't have to cry, they don't have to scream, they don't have to moan, they don't have to we don't you know, it's like your little brother, your little sister poking you in the arm saying, Does that hurt? Does that hurt? Does that hurt? Does that hurt? And then finally you just go, Oh, I'm gonna have to smack you. I mean, what the heck? Why do you keep doing that? Of course it hurts. Look at it, you know? So I um I don't think that we can err on the side of too much pain management in of course in a responsible way. But when we had talked and then looking at the website and being in your hospital, talking to the clinicians, talking to the staff there at length, I um I I couldn't agree with you more, I guess. So if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit. And that leads us to the next thing in your interest column, which was client communication. And I don't know if there's a way to separate those two. So if you can please address that for us a little bit with regard to your philosophy or maybe Preston area philosophy on pain management for our patients because I think that's critical. Yeah, and it's, pain management is huge. I, we, we love to administer pain medication to all of our patients for, for more than one reason. It allows, them to, it allows them to rest and heal from whatever you know, ailment they're suffering from, mm-hmm. and it just reduces the amount of stress that they you know, have to deal with when they're in the hospital. Um, one of the probably big, bigger challenges that I've faced as a, as a veterinarian is trying to help owners um, understand their pet is painful. Mm-hmm, as you, I, I, and as, as you know, our, our pets are very, very stoic. And so <laughs> they don't show pain very easily. And they can be quite painful and have serious, serious illnesses or serious um, you know, traumatic injuries. And yet will be wagging their tails or purring and it's it's just a remarkable right. learning experience yeah. to see to see some of our pets, you know, in these very critical conditions and yet, like I said, still wagging their tails or, or purring. Right. Do, do so, you ever get in the situation where I, I mean I've been in it before where you take an X ray or you do some blood work or you do an ultrasound or you do a palpation and for me, literally, shake my head and say how the heck are they still standing? How the heck are they yeah. still wagging their tail? I mean, how? Hey, how is it possible? I had a, oh, I could tell, I could tell multiple stories like that. One of the, probably the more recent ones was uh, this wonderful calico um, kitty that was, that showed up. The owners, the owners said that it just, it wasn't quite acting normally. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we started assessing it, and I, I started palpating the cat, and I felt a little crepitus or, um, you know, motion that shouldn't be in the pelvis. And I kind of went, hmm, that's interesting. And I, I took a I took a radiograph of this poor cat's pelvis, and it was in about four pieces, and it had oh, been hit by a car. God. And the cat is purring and rubbing on my leg, and you know, standing up on its hind legs to to rub down on my leg, and just being just affectionate as can be, and it had just broken its pelvis less than 24 hours right. ago. Right. You're like, how how is this possible? So, for 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 a listening audience, <laughs> Dr. Saul is so professional. I love him. Um, but when we're, when his last statement, when he was talking about palpating, palpating is putting your hands on your patient. It's, it's using all of your knowledge, all of your education, all of your anatomy through your hands. 
and feeling for normal, feeling for abnormal, those types of things. And then crepitus, crepitus is crunching. That's, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Saul, but that we just, you move things and that they make an abnormal motion, an abnormal feeling in your fingertips, or that abnormal noise, like, ew, what, what, exactly. uh, that can't be good. And then our radiographs yeah. are just x-rays. So um, that was the, the, perf- obviously the perfect line of medical um, diagnostics, but I can't imagine you weren't just shaking your head going, sweetheart, how is it that you're just so kind to us as we didn't know or that we're moving you around? Or how can you not just be hiding in a corner somewhere? I always am amazed at the internal fortitude and, as you pointed out, the stoic nature of our, our friends, you know, our non-human friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that leads us such a good segue into some of the emergencies that we want to go over today with you. And once again, I want to remind our listening audience, call with any questions because this, this, um, it can happen to you and your loved one at any time, okay? So just because we're just like our emergency, I mean, our animal disaster show the other day, just because everything is going well today, the more knowledge we have, the more power to be good advocates for our pets, and that's what today's about. We um, would like to ask you to participate once again, 347-215-6138. The three topics that we're going to try and discuss today are GDV, or bloat, gastric dilatory volvulus, or gastric dilation and volvulus, depending on where you read. Basically, gastric stomach dilation, getting too big, volvulus, twisting. Um, We did a show on holistic pet care about a month and a half ago with a wonderful guest named Becky and her story of her dog named Mike, who was an older, large German Shepherd male, which are pretty classic um, um, uh, characteristics for dogs that bloat. And she told a story from the owner's side, the what did I see, what did I know, how did I make that phone call, how quickly did these signs come up and how quickly did we need to act and how, how the other side, the, the, the patient side, the client side, and it was so emotional and it was thankfully, Mike, Mike did very, very well with the help of some amazing surgeons um, and quick action on the owner's part. So GDD we'll talk about from, let's say, the emergency surgeon side. <laughs> and then the next topic will be vomiting and diarrhea, maybe not morning breakfast talk, but it's important. And then a condition that cats get, um, we call it SLUTI for our acronym, feline lower urinary tract disease. And it is um, elusive, in my opinion. The cats will hide symptoms as long as they can, just like Dr. Saul said, and then that condition can lead to urinary obstruction, although other things can lead to urinary obstructions. But the, the condition is so pervasive, so elusive, and causes so much pain, so much discomfort, and ongoing medical care. And many times these poor cats come in for an emergency, like, oh, my gosh, what the heck's going on with my cat? And then it's an emergency. Everyone's painful. Everyone's just really uncomfortable uncomfortable in the whole situation. And um, Dr. Stahl is going to talk to us about that and how we might be able to be more attentive, maybe recognize it more early, you know, more early so that we don't get in these situations. Or if we do and we go visit someone as wonderful as Dr. Stahl in an emergency hospital, what to expect? Because these things, the shock or the surprise, and poor Dr. Stahl having to go in and tell people things and look at that, their look on her face like, what? I didn't know that. Or how much is that going to cost? Or how come we can do this or how come we can't do that, which is one of the, for me, one of the hardest parts of emergency medicine and medicine in general is having to wait for the decision or having to wait for the questions while my patient is in back or is sitting there continuing to suffer or continuing to need more care. So let's get started, Dr. Saul. Let's, let's um, start wherever you want, okay? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start with GDV, or the gastric dilatation, volvulus, or just commonly we'll call it bloat. And this is the true, true emergency, as we talked about the other day. Um, and, you know, going along the same lines that we talked about earlier, painful, painful patients, painful pets, this, this condition is very, very common. 
in large breed, you know, deep chested. So when I say large breed, deep chested dogs, the big ones that I think about are Great Danes, German yep. Shepherds, yep. Labradors, um, Irish Setters, those types Dobies. of breeds. Yeah, exactly, Dobies, Dobermans. Mm-hmm. Those I've are the big ones. My, I've had two of my English Mastiffs do it, and they're yep. in my experience, they were older. For their breed, exactly. male, you know, male as a prevalent, and um, and the, some of the clinical signs that are shown, the bigger these guys get, sometimes the physicality of the changes are harder to see. Maybe not in our dobies, or maybe not in our slender breeds, but I got to tell you, when my when my English Mastiff went, he was trying to see that basketball appearance in the abdomen, or trying to blot, or trying to do something like. Is that off? Isn't it off? Is it off? And I do this for a living. <laughs> so, yeah. So and and that's the thing is I've I've been tricked actually um, a couple times already is you know they they don't look you know very very blo- they don't look bloated but everything else fits and so along those same lines the biggest things to look for at home are is the biggest thing the number one thing is pain anxiety so mm-hmm. the the biggest concern that owners will call and say my dog has been pacing and cannot get comfortable. He's yeah, just been pacing right. around and he just seems very uncomfortable. That's the number one cause. Number or the number one number one clinical sign that we see from, from owners. The number two thing is non productive retching or vomiting. Yay. So the dog is trying trying to vomit. <laughs> trying to vomit, trying to vomit, but nothing's coming up or or just some saliva is coming up. So Non-productive. Exactly. Um, those nice. two things together, you know, very anxious, pacing, can't get comfortable, non-productive retching, that dog needs to be seen immediately. The right sooner, now. Right now. Yeah, right now. The sooner that patient can be seen, the better the prognosis. And exactly. And that's, a, then the, the onset from seeing those, that, those kind of vague clinical signs, you know, regardless of what people think, the onset of clinical every single minute that the mechanics, the mechanism of destruction that's going on inside of your pet, it is absolutely correlates to their survival rate. Just like you're saying, you need to get them in right now because every minute you wait decreases their chance of survival regardless of what you have to do in the emergency room, Dr. Saul. That, that's my thought process. And that yeah. on my end, I love, for me, when I had my, my big boys, um, have have a buddy system possibly, or when you get your dog, when you see this, you call the emergency hospital right now. You say, I think my dog is bloating, or I just have an anxious pet, or whatever, and let them know you're coming because that way they can be ready because being ready for a bloat case is no small shakes. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff, as I recall, that needs to be ready. So, um, yeah. so what? You know, and the quicker the quicker you can get in, again, it's it's just a better better prognosis. I guess just to give the listeners a little better idea of what's actually going on internally is you think of the stomach as a balloon and then taking that balloon like a like a balloon animal at the circus and twisting it. <laughs> and what happens is the blood supply to the stomach can be compromised. And once once the inlet to the stomach and the outlets, so the you know, the front and the back of the stomach are closed off, the stomach just fills up with air. And eventually starts putting putting some pressure on the other internal organs, and that's what gets us into big trouble. Mm-hmm. It's the dog yeah, in big trouble. So. Right, especially especially with our big blood vessels. You know, the things that deliver blood to the back end, deliver blood back to the heart, all of those things. You know, where nothing's really all of our freeways are shut down. We can't get things like, let's say, oxygen to our tissues. Just all of these things that are vitally important that we never think about or we just assume are going to happen all the time go haywire, haywire. So I'm a patient, I'm, I'm a client, I come in, my dog is anxious, non-productive retching, has all the clinical signs like you said. What's next, Dr. Saul? So the first thing I do is I, I assess the patient and if I have any concern whatsoever that it's a bloat, I will highly recommend taking abdominal x-rays or radiographs. And so yep. the first thing we do is take the dog straight back and take a 
take a single lateral x-ray and mm-hmm. get that developed as quickly as possible to give us an idea if the stomach is actually twisted or if the dog is bloated. Right. And then as soon as we get that diagnosis, the very classic um, appearance on, a, on an x-ray in a big the double bubble, gas distend- <laughs> double bubble, big gas distended stomach, and the first thing I do sometimes, uh, I guess I, I have to back up a little bit. The first thing I do is I give the patient some pain medication before we do. Amen. The there, there you go. That's it. I Very usually nice. I usually yeah. use a, an opioid. Hydromorphone is my is my go-to medication. It's a very very safe pain medication, and yep. it is it. it's stronger than morphine, and it lasts yep. it lasts a lot longer. So sure. first thing I do is get some hydromorphone. I take a an X-ray. Once I get my diagnosis. I should go up and I talk with the owner as I'm having the nurses get an IV catheter in place. Right, and, right. And this is, what we call this a true emergency because there's only there's only one way to fix a bloat, and that is to go to surgery. Yep. And it's and, an abdominal right surgery. Yeah, and it's, uh-huh. it's an immediate abdominal surgery. And so we, you know, we would have to go to surgery where we go in and actually physically correct the twist in the stomach. Right, right. And, and then a um, the great advantage of going in and surgically correcting this condition is we can actually, as surgeons, tack the stomach to the abdominal wall to yes. so the side yes. of the stomach straight to the side of the, the abdomen. So then it can prevent this condition from happening in the future. Very nice. Yes, and so that's, and that's so important, isn't it, that a bloat, a twist, can reoccur, and they can reoccur while they're trying to recover from their surgery. 48 hours, 72 hours later, you know, if they have propensities for that, and doing what, you know, like what you're describing, gastropexy, gastro-stomach-pexy tacket to the inside wall, it, it's something that I actually recommend for clients when they get spayed or neutered. You know, if you have a large, deep-chested breed dog, when you're in getting yeah. a spay, when you're in getting a neuter, if you're doing some other um, open cavity procedure, Get a pexy, get them tacked so that you maybe won't have to ever go through this. You might bloat up, you might get air distension, you might get discomfort, but chances of you twisting, which make it the mother of all emergencies, are decreased dramatically. So I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Saul. That's great. Yes. And so at the same time, I'm explaining uh, to the owner that I'm very concerned about a, a GDV or a bloat and we need to go to surgery to correct this condition, I also try Uh to inform the owner about post-op observation and hospitalization because this is huge for, again, pain management. This is is an invasive procedure. It's a serious abdominal surgery. And so we will keep the pets for a minimum of 48 hours so we can give them... Um, I like to give a fentanyl CRI, which is that's a, a very, very potent um, opioid pain medication as a continuous rate infusion. So it's getting a, a drop, if you will, a drop every yep. every few seconds of this pain right. medication just to keep them as comfortable as possible to allow them to heal without that's any right. That's you know, right. That's right. And the thing is that. That that what you're what you're describing is that nice wonderful sleep that opioids can provide, and you're doing it on a CRI, a constant rate infusion. So we don't have to worry about it's it's in my body now it's going away, and I got to give another shot. It's in my body, it's going away. Chance that my patient's going to feel this discomfort. Chance that my patient's not going to be able to get that deep restful sleep, and that you're you, you know you're so on the money, Doctor Saul, with regard to the way these guys heal, the same way you and I do is that you have to get rest. You have to sleep. You, you know, you, your body's only going to recover that way along with the wonderful other things that are going to be put in their body to give them the best chance of recovery. So that sleep piece and the use of the opioids, the use of the pain meds is vital. And unfortunately, I have experienced in my past folks that that way or don't think along those lines. And um, I have to um, encourage the listeners here and encourage them to spread the word that ask. You know, if you go to see a veterinarian, you go to see a doctor, 
ask about pain management. There's nothing wrong with it. You just ask them what they use for pain management. In a situation that's an emergency, such as Dr. Stahl is discussing, it might not be super appropriate because who's got the time? We're going for an emergency surgery. But um, as he's discussing post-op pain management, it absolutely has to include pain management, both 48 hours and then hopefully when your friend goes home. So why don't we talk about that a little bit because you're just doing something that's so great. Yeah, well. so... So by the time, you know, we reach this 48 to 72 hours post-op and the dog is, is recovered, you know, very well, at this point they're usually eating and drinking and they don't know that anything happened usually at all. They just are wondering why they're here in the hospital. And so at this point we, we start considering sending them home. And at that point it's just managing the incision. There's a, you know, there's a big abdominal incision where we had to, to go in for the surgery. And so just trying to keep them, keep them calm at home and we don't want them, you know, jumping up or running or you know, playing ball or any sort of horseplay at all. And we send them home on, on pain medication, anti-inflammatory sometimes depends on, on the situation. Um, right. And then it's, it's just a matter of time to allow the the abdominal wall to heal appropriately. Um, usually, right. it depends on the surgeon, but some will use sutures, external sutures. We like to use staples at our practice, and uh-huh. those usually stay in for 10 to 12 days. It takes about three to four weeks for the abdominal wall to get up to 100% of its previous strength, and so right. that's that's big to, to not allow any, any any horseplay until that, that three- to four-week mark post-op. And it, well, how, how do you find your owner compliance with that? Um, owner compliance meaning are my humans paying attention to what I ask them to do? Because um, you find that, oh, my, you know, I'm, I'm so relieved they're, they're alive. I'm so relieved that they're getting better. I'm so relieved everything's going well. And then, you know, our patients start to feel like, ooh, I'm feeling pretty good. I should probably get out for a walk or go run around the backyard or play with my buddy or something. Those periods of time where you just have to say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You, you know, stay, stay down, stay calm, stay wherever you need to stay. Because you've got another 14 days on this, buddy, because we're not going through this again. Or you, I'm sure you don't want to go back and see back, back. Yeah. Um, but I find owner compliance is just, and for myself too, right, because I'm not just a doctor. I'm an owner. I'm, you know, I'm a client. And I've had some major <laughs> surgeries done on my dogs. And that my owner compliance is, is, Unwilling as I am to admit it to the world, I'm a horrible. I'm a horrible owner when it comes to owner compliance. I'm just horrible. And, uh, I am. I'm just, I'm just the worst. I'm like, oh, it looks so good. It'll be fine. And then I, I do my rationalization where it's like, oh, it'll be fine because if something goes wrong, I can fix it. What an idiot. I mean, honestly, right? What an idiot. And I'm like such a hypocrite. Yeah. So there, I just made a full confessional to the world on air live. So um, there you go. But that, that being said you got to know that you need to do it. I mean, if nothing else, being your 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 friend's advocate, you don't want them to go through that again. And if you've ever heard of or witnessed a dog that tears or a, a procedure that fails, um, you, you don't want to go down that road. You absolutely don't want to no, go down that road. you don't. Um, it, no, it's no good. Um, now, um, since... Uh, Prescott area... Can I, can I add one, can I add one oh, thing sure. to that as well? That, um, that. Well, as, a, as emergency practice, we do get a, a lot of um, incisional complications to present. So a dog that had surgery, whether it was a spay or a neuter or a mass removal or, you know, God forbid, one of these big abdominal surgeries and they have, you know, this big incisions, right. please, please don't let your pet lick or chew or scratch mm-hmm. or... Oh, at the incision, you know, all this hard work has been done, and you know, the the dogs, it's they just like to lick at them or chew at them, and as Good you said, it's yeah, something that it's, you don't, don't want to ever have to deal with. Well, I think one of the one you're you're you tend to be more right. The um the e collar, you know, the 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 big white cone, or now they have a super one, of shame. more flexible one. <laughs> The tone of shame. That's exactly right. Now, <laughs> I I have walked into veterinary practices and seen animals co- going home, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm so sorry with the cone of shame, you know. And then I've been like corrected really, really hard with some staff sometimes saying, it's the cone of healing. 
It's the cone of hope. And I'm looking at them going, have you ever had a dog with one of these things? I said, it's the cone of shame. Uh, I mean, it's just the cone of shame. <laughs> I know. I feel so I feel so bad for them because they don't know why they have this silly cone on their head, but it's for oh. their own good. And it's only for a short <laughs> amount of time. So, do you, do you actually talk to them about that and tell them, you know, like, listen, I'm so sorry I'm sending you home with this. It's just going to be for a little while. It's for your best interest. Because I have these conversations with my patients, but it doesn't help when they give you that, that, just that horrible the look on their face. Like, face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or they're like, you know, as soon as I leave here, I'm ripping this damn thing off. Or I'm going to wrap this back leg of mine around, or I'm going to push it back on my head and get my tongue down there anyway, and especially mm-hmm. with some of these giant breed dogs. The cone has to be huge. Giant. I mean, it has to be enormous. <laughs> and, like, things you can't get the damn thing through a door or in your the car. The satellite or... dish. <laughs> it is, I'm not laughing at any of our patients, of course, but it is, it's the source of many phone calls. Like, can I take this cone off? I'm like, absolutely not. Can I take this cone off? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Then, as a client, I get home, I'm like, how can I do this without having this damn cone on? Because you know how they walk behind you and they hit the back of your legs with it? Or oh, that hurts so bad. It does. Or they try to eat out their food bowl and the bottom of the cone gets covered with, you know, slime and food and such or whatever. So post-op anything, and especially a bloat, it comes riddled with issues. And issues, some of them are, you know, lighthearted like we're going over now, and some of them are so crucial, just like Dr. Salzada, do not let your dogs lick their incision site. Do not let your dogs scratch your incision site because you're going to end up with a whole dish of complications, and you're going to add more pain, more discomfort, and probably more medication onto your friend and increase their healing time. So sometimes it's tough love. No, every time it's tough love. I really believe that, every time. And that's coming as a doctor and as a client. (laughs) So that's, exactly. like, oh, my gosh, the cone of doom. Um, so, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so that, that's so important with the GDD. Now, um, okay, let's let's go over to Flutie, if you wouldn't mind, Dr. Saul. We're about halfway through this show now, and that I think um, for our cat owners, we're, we're heavy in the dog, the dog world, although I do want to point mm-hmm. out that although bloat is a large breed dog disease, you can get bloat. In smaller breed dogs, you can get bloats in dogs you would never expect it in. So just because your dog isn't a large breed, giant breed, large breed, deep-chested, older male dog, do not discount the possibility of a bloat because it can happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, we don't want to pigeonhole this guy at all. <laughs> all right, so out of dog world, into cat world. So yeah, how, let's how would talk you about like our kitty friend. Yeah, I'm definitely. sitting Let's here actually with one of mine on my lap at the moment. It's rotten as can be, mm-hmm. but <laughs> is, is, are they giving you a little bit of a guilt thing? It's like we need some cat time on the air, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get to well, the let's cat. Let's talk about feline lower urinary tract disease or or Flutie. Um, this is a this is kind of an umbrella term to describe several several other conditions. The, mo- the most common of which is feline idiopathic cystitis, meaning inflammation of the <laughs> bladder or of unknown unknown reason. So, yes. Um, so <laughs> idiopathic always cracks me up, right? Because exactly. pathically disease causes idiopathic. We don't know what kind of idiots that can't figure it out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so cystitis, cystitis is inflammation of the bladder. Um, and this can be caused by a number of things. This is one of those conditions that we're doing tons of research in as, as a profession as a whole. We're doing lots of research into this condition because we just don't fully understand it yet. Right. Um, right. And, it's, and it is quite painful. And unfortunately, it, despite therapy, it can recur. It actually, once, once a patient has had this condition, 50% of them will recur within a year. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's it's very very frustrating disease and it can cause very serious issues as as an emergency veterinarian. This is probably the number one reason that um cat owners will bring their cat to the emergency hospital 
And so I guess I'll just jump right into the things that owners can see, what they can kind of watch for at home, and you know, reasons to want to bring their, their cat into the hospital. Okay, and so great. The and big... then would you mind going into the, uh, that you're exactly right, but that the class, for me at least, the classic presentation of an obstructed cat, because that yeah. it, it's, it's, it's sad, in my opinion, very sad. So exactly. Let's, so the, um, along with the, the feline idiopathic cystitis or you know, inflammation of the bladder, a sequela mm-hmm. to that is urethral obstruction, meaning the, the urethra, the outflow of the urine is completely obstructed and the patients cannot urinate at all. And this is typically in a male, uh, middle-aged, younger to middle-aged cat, uh, tabby. Tabbies are very mm-hmm. predisposed, gray tabbies. Male, overweight, indoor, gray tabbies. And this <laughs> is thing. very, 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 very classic. You know, and so that urethral obstruction is absolutely an emergency. A patient's not able to urinate. It's... Mm-hmm. Very, very painful for one, but two can cause significant electrolyte abnormalities, meaning yes. Yes. Um, can cause arrhythmias and severe dehydration. And these patients can become very, very sick in a hurry if they are not corrected appropriately. That's right. That's so, right. And with, with cats, sometimes cats are more, they, they're more of a, they almost act like a prey, you know, a prey, a prey animal where they, they hide their symptoms. They, they maybe hide under the bed. They, they don't show us that they're having those issues, and they wait until they're so sick or they're screaming at the litter box or their urine's red and the owners, you know, see it or something. But some, at least in my limited experience, Dr. Saul, that these guys, the owner's like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I, like you ask them. Are they having difficulty urinating? Like I don't know. The cat leaves a litter box, or the cat goes outside, or so they just don't know. And um, sometimes yeah. the presentation is so far down the road that they need so much help in so many areas of their life because, as you pointed out, electrolyte abnormalities, blood dyscrasias, pain—you know those types of things. So please continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's all right. So I think one of the most common complaint from owners um, is vocalizing in the litter box. Uh-huh. And so most most feline patients don't make any noise, you know, at, at all in the litter box. But if, you're, if your cat is painful, they're going to be making some noise when they're in there, yowling or, you know, whining and those sorts of things. Or another common, common complaint is inappropriate urination. So the, right, uh, the right. cat just urinated on the floor right in front of me. You know, that's a right. big red flag. You're vocalizing in the litter box or inappropriate urination. Those are the, those are two big, huge red flags that something's going on. Um, I guess I need to back up a little bit. I said the most common um, most common signalment or characteristics of a cat with with this condition is is a male cat. Yes. It can happen just as easily in female cats, but because their their urethra is, is shorter and wider, they don't tend to have mm-hmm. as many issues, but they can just as easily have this condition. Yeah, I had, so, I had two cats when I was I, two cats in Nevada, and i got to be honest with you, when it happened, part of my brain discounted an obstruction just because it was a female cat. You know, I was so programmed that this is a male cat problem, male cat problem, male cat problem, and it didn't take but a two minutes you know, brain recheck to figure out that that's what this was. But my 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 whole education, my whole, you know, just get into this emergency thing, having a urethral obstruction in a female cat was probably three, four, and five on my differential diagnosis versus being number one. So um, I'm so glad you pointed that out because that the male the male urethra long and it takes a curve over the pelvic bone and gets, you know, it's thinner and those types of things where the female anatomy, of course, is different. But we can't, we have to be open-minded to all of these possibilities as rare as we might think they are. So thank you for pointing that out. That's so important. Yeah. And so um, big red flags again back at home, vocalizing in the, in the litter box, frequent urination, 
abnormal or inappropriate urination, you know, those are all big red flags to get them seen immediately. And so uh-huh. let's talk about owner gets to the hospital, my cat is vocalizing in the litter box, or my cat has inappropriate urination. Right. So, you know, next steps, where do we go from here? So typically what's, what I like to do is very very first off is we will put an ultrasound probe on the on the urinary bladder to mm-hmm. assist, after I guess I back up a little bit I'll palpate the bladder to make sure that the cat is not obstructed. Is yeah, this or is, is the, right? <laughs> or is, yeah, or is is obstructed and, and that's that would be a, a you know a bad case. But luckily, if they are obstructed, we can we can take care of that. We will give them give them pain medication and get an IV catheter in place, and we will correct that obstruction immediately. We'll give them an anesthetic agent, usually a short-acting anesthetic agent, and pass right. the urinary catheter to allow right. them to urinate. Um, and we also we like to if they're not if they're not obstructed and it's just inappropriate urination, so they're actually able to still urinate. Right. Then we'll we'll try to figure out why they're not able to urinate. Doing performing a urinalysis, so taking a urine sample, looking for evidence of of a urinary tract infection, so looking for bacteria, looking for white blood cells, looking for crystals or stones, those sorts of things. Those can all cause cause these conditions. Exactly. So the mainstays of the treatment for for um, uh, feline idiopathic cystitis, or you know, the inflammation of the bladder, is pain management as Mm -hmm. well as antispasmodics. So the reason, a patient, nice. the reason a patient will become obstructed is there's so much inflammation or there's so much pain that the patient's urethra is actually spasming, spasming shut yeah. because it's painful. And so we have to treat them to make them more comfortable so they will just urinate normally. And the antispasmodics are used to prevent that urethra from shutting down and causing an obstruction. That's now, Dr. Spalk, do you, do you run blood work on all of your cats that come in with suspect fluty for these electrolyte abnormalities or the dehydration or those types of things that you had mentioned before? Do you guys run the blood work there to make sure if you need to do some odd corrections via fluids or via nutrition or those types of things? And It's definitely it's case by case. Okay. Uh, you know, if I, if, what's that? Oh, I just said no. That's great. Yeah, it's it's a, a case by case. If if it's you know a first time first time offender and the bladder is very very small <laughs> on palpation, uh-huh. <laughs> then then you, usually we just talk about things to to look for. You know, things that we can do as owners at home to prevent any future recurrence. Those right. sorts of things. Right. And, and usually, if they're not obstructed, a lot of these cats look completely healthy, and you don't think that there'd be anything wrong with them, other than the you know the history of my cat's been vocalizing a litter box, or my cat urinated on the kitchen floor and I saw some blood in it, you know those yes, sorts of right. things. Right, right, right. Now, with your what is your if they're not obstructed, what is your normal stay in the hospital for a fluty cat? Um, just the duration of diagnosis and getting a sample and such, and then client education, or do you keep them for a little while, or what do you guys no, do? No, I, I I really don't like to keep cats in the hospital if at all possible. They're you know they they like being at home, and I like them yeah. being at home too. They, yeah. they get stressed out. <laughs> That's exactly where I was hoping you were going with this, Dr. Stahl, because cats get stressed out. And as much as we talked about relaxing a dog so they can rest and they can heal, cats are cats are their own creature. Cats are not small dogs. Cats have to cats have to be respected for a thousand different things, including the stress of a cat can change the blood work numbers. The stress of a cat can change the response to anything. The stress of a cat, like you said, better off at home with his family, being loved on, with away from the additional stressors on top mm-hmm. of a flippy case. So I have yeah, yeah. utmost respect for you saying that. That's <laughs> fantastic. They've got to go home yeah. as soon as possible. I like if it. They're not, if they're not obstructed and, and, we, you know, and if we do perform some blood work and there's no evidence of dehydration or electrolyte abnormalities, 
and I do. Mm-hmm. I like to send them home with the medications that I talked about, and right. and then some client client education, which we'll get to in a in a little bit. Um, if the if the patient is obstructed, then they do need to stay in the hospital. The mm-hmm. ideally, what we do is we pass an, an, uh, a urinary catheter, which should stay in place for really a minimum of 36 hours. Based on the mm-hmm. most recent research, the best prognosis is if we can keep a urinary catheter in place, very specific urinary catheter in place for 36 hours. And then we're giving IV fluids this entire time to try to diurese the patient, meaning we're trying mm-hmm. to flush all the toxins out and we're trying to flush that urinary bladder to get to get as much of the inflammation out as possible. Right, And right, so usually right. they these patients will end up staying in the hospital for about 48 hours because we like to, after 36 hours, pull the urinary catheter and make sure that they are urinating appropriately, and then we send them home with what we had previously talked about. Dr. Saul, um, we have a caller waiting for probably for a question for you. Um, hello, hello, Dr. Saul, I'm speaking. Hello, how can we help you? Thank you for calling. Well, I was just wondering if there was something in the cat's diet that you know, can cause this problem. Dr. Saul? So that's a great, that's a great question. Um, the short answer is there's, there's a million things that can cause this. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I, can't say, I can't say for certain that there's something in the diet. It's, it's usually a combination of multiple things. Um, most common most common reasons that we that we have this condition would be confinement, decreased mm-hmm. activity, decreased water intake, um, dirty or poorly available litter boxes, intercat aggression, um, obesity, arthritis. So there's there's a multitude of causes for this condition. I, and I, I can't say that diet alone can predispose patients to this condition. Well, I want to start... Sorry, go ahead. What what you can do, though, um, is there are specific diets that can help out. Once a patient has been diagnosed with this condition, there are Mm -hmm. urinary-specific diets that can help them, especially if the cat has crystals or stones in the bladder. There's diets very specific to, to decrease and change the pH with you know very specific mineral content in the food to prevent these crystals to form, preventing the condition. Right. Okay. Uh, so Nancy, I want to thank you so much for calling in with your question. It it really is an important question because diet, of course, is one of the tools that we have access to two times a day or 24 hours a day for these guys to you know to fuel their recovery. And um, I wanted to not lose sight of the fact that this show is a holistic pet care show. And I don't. I wanted to let every, all the listeners know that there are quite a few modalities that can be used in a holistic perspective to not only manage these guys or help these guys, depending on your thought process and what you you know where you're at with the care of your animals. But regardless of what it is that you choose to do as their advocate, once they've done seeing Dr. Saul, we need to make sure that. If there's anything that even feels like an emergency, feels like pain, feels like discomfort, they need to go to an emergency hospital, a Western traditional emergency hospital, and get the best diagnosis and the best treatments available to them. And then after that, if you're more inclined to do holistic alternative methodology for veterinarians or whatever it is that you're comfortable with, after the emergency is over, that's when we can talk about different choices, but the service that Dr. Saul offers is invaluable, and there's no reason to that if your friend is painful, uncomfortable, restless, agitated, any of those things that Dr. Saul has, go to an emergency hospital. Don't don't wait for somebody else to call you back. Don't wait to try and figure it out on your own. Don't wait to try to get some sort of at-home remedy. Deal with that later. Save your animal's life. Save your animal's comfort. Save your animal discomfort and hopefully any kind of long-term damage by going to see doctors such as Dr. Saul. Please, I beg you. And then 
if we want to do something holistic, we want to do something off the normal grid, heck yeah, we'll get together and talk about it after the crisis is over. And then we all work as a team, such as Dr. Saul said, team management. We all talk together, and then we all decide what's best for your friend. So um, I just feel very strongly about that, that emergency medicine is there for a reason, best diagnostics, best treatment right now. So I can't thank you enough, Dr. Saul, for bringing this to everybody, but I have a personal question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Why did you choose emergency medicine? You've got an extremely good education out of Colorado State University. You, you know, obviously you have a great personality and great, cool, calm, collected attitude. And I love your interests. And I think that it's, you know, on paper, it's an awesome fit. Personally, it's an awesome fit. And from what I've said and heard and read and um, discussed with you, it sounds perfect. But when it came time to choose, what am I going to do with this education? Why did you choose emergency medicine? Yeah, that's, a, again, a great question. And it probably comes from a combination of factors. My, my mom is, uh, is a nurse practitioner at this point. When I was growing up, she was an emergency nurse. And she was okay. the, head of the, ER, the head of the ER at Parkview Hospital in Pueblo, Colorado. And wow, so wow. I wow. I went in yeah I went in multiple times you know on as an as emergencies with my mother because you know she couldn't get a babysitter there quick enough so my <laughs> brother and I hop hop in the car we'd go and we'd sit in the waiting room at the hospital but I'm sure there's oh, yeah. some genetic component given given that <laughs> history um, and then two I was a professional raft guy for seven years class four whitewater raft guide for um, Echo Canyon River Expedition in Colorado on the Arkansas River, guiding tours through the, the Royal Gorge. And, oh, my uh, gosh, how fun. How wonderful. Uh, yeah, and it's, outside. It's a, how wonderful. Oh. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, what a tough office job. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I but, actually have tried to figure out my mind. I'm like, you're whitewater rafting or you're in an office, huh? Hmm, huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that you know, being able to, you know, to, you know, think on your feet, and you know, and just quick decisions, those sorts of things. I just, I've always liked that little bit of adrenaline rush, if you will. Mm-hmm. And emer- emergency medicine definitely, definitely has that. And then it, the opportunity presented itself. I was on my way to an interview at um, an equine facility in the area, and uh-huh. my iPhone, my iPhone died. And I didn't know the area, and I I couldn't find the interview to this equine practice. Okay. And so I, I I knew where the emergency hospital was, and it was actually in the, in the middle of construction. And so Great. I okay. stopped by, and I knocked on the door, and I met Dr. Scott Reed. And yes. we just yes. sat down, we started talking, and next thing you know, he's, he's saying... You know, I'd, I'd really like to to follow up with you, and and I started thinking about it, and you know, I, I think this might be a lot of fun. You know, this is it's really interesting. You never know what's going to happen. It's just something new every single day. No day is the same, and it's it's just a really really neat profession. Yeah, yeah, and serendipity, right? I mean, like, what are the chances that all of those things click, 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 click? could get you to Dr. Scott in the middle of Prescott Valley, in the middle of construction. You know, it, that yeah. it's, you know, and you don't necessarily have to believe in fate or anything else, but, you know, it didn't happen by accident. And then Dr. Scott Reed, he, he is just, in my opinion, a wonderful, wonderful guy and um, got an amazing skill set. And the fact that, you know, putting together the Prescott Area Pet Emergency Hospital by bringing all the veterinary hospitals together in a very positive, supportive mutually beneficial way and not in a threatening way and providing this service to the community that was not available and you know now of course you're doing that there's no way that we can thank you guys enough you know there's just even for me in my practice making sure that one of these cards is in everyone's hand during whether it's my (laughs) classes whether it's the seminars whether it's my patients whether it's the people I go have breakfast with what yeah it's 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 been a great 
huge, huge benefit to the community. We, we've had so much positive feedback that you know, oh, we're just so thankful that you're here. I have no idea what I would have done if if you weren't here. You know, we get that exactly. we get that every single day, and people really, really enjoy having us there. You know, God, God forbid they need to come in to see us, but you know, at least they're there. They don't have to drive an hour and a half to Phoenix or yeah. or what uh-huh. have you. And and for me, I'm you know coming out of Nevada and coming out of you know big city Nevada, you know, and then obviously working emergency medicine, it, the thought process never really stuck with me that it wouldn't be available all 24/7. The fact that you don't have the ability to make the phone call, get emergency services right now, 24/7, never dawned on me until I moved here. And I honestly, when people have got emergencies or people ask me for stuff, I'm like, holy smoke, you guys don't have an emergency facility here? Or, what do you mean you're not open 24 hours? Or what do you mean I can't talk to a doctor? Literally for myself and then for my clients, I'm like, oh, we need to figure this out. And um, Dr. Stoll, I'll be honest with you, I brought some of my patients to Vegas to see the doctors that I trust because we didn't have the services here available. And one of the things I couldn't do was emergency. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't provide references for that. And you guys showed up. So thank you so darn much. I don't, there's no way I can actually thank you enough for, doing what you do, being here, being present, and being so darn good at it. And the fact that your primary modus operandi is pain management, client education, and making our non-human friends feel better. And, you know, and literally no kidding around saving lives every time you go to work. So I've got the utmost respect for you and what you've chosen to do, and I've got no way to thank you. Oh, well, thank you for thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be able to to talk with everyone and try to give them you know, a little bit of information to help out and make make good decisions to to take care of their pets. And I know everyone's goal is to do what's best for them. I mean, that's that's my goal as a as a veterinarian. As every single patient, I want to do my you know, the absolute best to do whatever whatever I can for them. Right. And so, it's, like I said, it's a great profession to be able to have the opportunity to do that. It, it definitely, it, it definitely is, isn't it? Because we even doing this, our interchange on the on the phone, on the radio, global access, having people, everyone who's listening here, going, "Oh gosh, I just didn't know that. I just didn't think that that was going to happen. I've never looked for that." Or I imagine there's people hittering on right now hugging their cats or checking their litter boxes or <laughs> going and looking at their dog's bellies or looking at their giant deep-chested <laughs> dogs going, are you comfortable? Are you, are you sleeping well? Do you need a bigger bed? Do you need a, <laughs> you know, that kind, that kind of information, like you said, knowledge is power. And if we, can, if we can help to make our buddies' lives more comfortable. And let me give out, why don't you do it? Like, why don't you give out the contact information for your facility? How do, how do we get a hold of you to ask questions or bring our animals, God forbid? Yeah, so the best best way to get in touch with us is probably to give us a call. The phone number at the emergency hospital is is 928-778-1990. And we're open evenings from 5.30 to 8.30, 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 a.m., Monday through Thursday, and weekends starting at 5 p.m. on Friday, open until 8.30 a.m. Monday morning, 24-7. Or I guess not 24-7, 20, 24 hours from <laughs> from Friday to Monday. Yeah, I've been up for been up for a while. I've been just got off night shifts. But um, also you can send questions to um, our website at info at petemergency.com. Right. Or you can go to our Beautiful. website at www.prescottpetemergency.com. Awesome. Dr. Saul, I have no way to thank you, and I hope that we can invite you back to be a guest again because we've managed to make it through two of our commonly seen pet emergencies, and I know the list is a heck of a lot longer. I really do. So um, let's get together soon, make another appointment so we can get you back on the air with this awesome information. Sounds good. Thank you again for having me. You're very welcome. You and your cat have an awesome day, okay? Will do. (laughs) All right. Now, thank you for all. Thank you for listening today to Holistic Pet Care, and please participate uh, and check our sylviaglobal.com or blogtalkradio.com/sylviaglobal to listen to this podcast again at your leisure and share it with your family and friends.
Once again, thank you very much. And visit us again next week. Bye-bye. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian.